Welcome to Bible Center Church, and thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We pray the Lord speaks to you as you hear His Word today. I want to invite you to take your Bible or your Bible app and open with me to the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. I want to say welcome back, Bible Center family. Those of you who are joining us on TV or those of you who are online, uh, thank you for being with us. Also want to say welcome to those of you who are here uh, with us in person. We like to say that we're a family expecting guests. And so if you're a guest, if you're new here, I would love to meet you after the service or next time our paths cross. I want to draw your attention to two resources. One is the app. If you haven't yet downloaded the Bible Center app, you're going to want to do that. Uh, All the notes from today's message are right there. Actually, a lot more than what I have time to discuss in one sermon are on the app, and so you can follow along with those notes. Another recommendation is a book that I would love for you to pick up or for you to check out at the local library or online, uh, Erasing Hell by Francis Chan. Francis Chan is someone that our church has looked to that we've trusted for years, and is really comes highly recommended. You can read it in about a day. There's, it's about 150 pages long. It's a really good book on hell, and it answers a lot of the questions that you may have, a lot of the what-if questions. What does the Bible say about this or that? And so I want to recommend that book to you. Let's go ahead and jump into Revelation 20 and verse 11. John says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, small, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Today's message is on hell. Today's message is on hell. If that excites you, if you're excited today that I am preaching on hell, you have issues. You have issues. I don't think excited is a good word that we could use or even should use when we're talking about hell. Maybe necessary. Today is a necessary message, but I don't know that excited is the right word to use. If I could, I want to go on record to say that if I could, if I could erase hell from the pages of Scripture and snuff it out of existence, I would. There is part of me that does not want to believe in hell. I'm curious if you've ever wrestled with the same. If you've ever lost a loved one that you weren't sure of their position in Christ, or if you're currently working with someone or have someone in your family, a parent, a child, a cousin, a sibling that just doesn't seem to want to believe the gospel, there's probably been a day where you have wrestled with the reality, is hell a real place? I'm preaching a sermon today on hell, and honestly, I am scared to death. 
I'm not scared of preaching on hard things, but I'm aware that there is a lot at stake in this message. If I say that there is no hell, and it turns out that there is a hell, I may lead people to the very place I convinced them did not exist. If I say that there is a hell and I'm wrong, I, I may persuade people to spend their lives warning loved ones about a terrifying place that isn't real. And so when it comes to hell, we can't afford to be wrong. Therefore, today I've filled my message with Scripture. My goal today is for you to hear from God far more than you hear from me. We may not like what the Bible says about this subject, but I invite you over the next few minutes to take an objective look with me and let's see what the Lord really says. Today, we're discussing what I believe and am convinced is a very real place that goes by multiple names in the Bible, but for the sake of this sermon and to avoid confusion, I'm gonna refer to them all as the place of hell. Hell is the place of eternal punishment for the wicked. Here's today's big idea. This is the one truth that summarizes the whole message. Here it is. Heaven cannot be heaven if there is no hell. Heaven cannot be heaven if there is no hell. Now, here's what I mean by that. According to the Bible, when Jesus' followers die, they pass immediately. We pass immediately into the presence of God. We're going to talk about that next weekend. You're going to want to hear that, what the Bible has to say about heaven. When unbelievers die, though, they pass immediately into a state of separation from God and the endurance of punishment. But according to the verses we just read, there is coming a day when God will bring all souls back before the throne, not for a second chance, but for one final judgment. Those who have accepted Jesus, those who have committed their lives to Jesus can be assured, can take comfort that they'll get to spend eternity with Jesus in the new heaven and in the new earth. We'll be talking about that in a couple of weeks. But those who rejected Jesus in this life will be cast into what the book of Revelation calls the lake of fire. Now, it's important for us to notice that before any of the judgments take place or before uh, any of the, excuse me, before heaven and earth comes into existence, before the new heavens and the new earth are made, this final judgment takes place. Revelation 20 that we just read comes before Revelation 21 and 22. Why is that? Why is that so significant? Well, it's significant for this reason, because heaven cannot be heaven if there is no hell. N.T. Wright says this, God is utterly committed to set the world right in the end. We can't wait to talk about that over the next two weeks. But that right setting must involve the elimination of all that distorts God's good and lovely creation, in particular of all that defaces his image-bearing human creatures. N.T. Wright goes on to say, I find it quite impossible reading the New Testament on one hand and the newspaper on the other to suppose that there will be no ultimate condemnation, no final loss, no human beings to whom, as C.S. Lewis put it, God will eventually say, thy will be done. 
I wish it were otherwise, but one cannot forever whistle. There's a wideness in God's mercy in the darkness of Hiroshima, of Auschwitz, of the, the murder of children and the careless greed that enslaves millions with debts not their own. Humankind cannot, alas, bear the massive denial of reality by the cheap and cheerful universalism of Western liberalism, which has a lot to answer for. Think about this with me. Let's think together. If there is no punishment of unbelievers, even people like Hitler and Stalin have nothing coming to them. And there is no ultimate justice in the universe. If there is no hell, all people have incentive to be as wicked as is humanly possible in this life. In other words, if what God says about heaven and the new creation is true, then the Bible teaches, and I believe it does, that God must remove everything that worships itself. This includes all evil and all people who refuse to let God redeem them. There must be exclusion before there is embrace. There must be exclusion before there is embrace. Evil must be identified. It must be named. It must be dealt with before we can have eternal reconciliation. Now, I'm curious. How many of you in the last year have washed, or excuse me, waxed your own car? Is there anybody here who's waxed their own car? If you're, okay, we got one. If you're watching this online, if you've waxed your own car, go ahead and Put your hand up online, however you do that, thumbs up. Uh, it's probably been a couple decades since I've waxed my car. I used to have to do it a lot. I used to have to do it to help dad a lot growing up. And I can still remember what it's like to wash and then wax the car. What are you doing when you're waxing the car? Well, you could say you're renewing the car, right? You're renewing it. Think about how we're renewing it. When you wax your car, you're removing the dead paint. Just as renewing a car requires the removal or the ultimate separation of all rust and dead paint, so must the renewal of heaven and earth require the ultimate separation of everything and everyone who does not belong to Jesus, which is why our big idea today is heaven cannot be heaven if there is no hell. Now, I promise you today will be worth this message will be worth the price of your attention. Here's why I believe it's important, because what I'm talking about today isn't just another dusty church doctrine. It isn't just a Christian thing, but it's actually a human thing. The Bible says that you and I will live somewhere forever. And as your, your pastor, I want the good of God for you on this earth, but I want the goodness of God for you in eternity. I realize I'm probably speaking to someone today who's questioning the existence of hell. If that's you, I just want to say that I get it. I totally, completely get it. Perhaps in a previous religious experience, you were taught things about hell that later came, you found out, things that you later learned from the Bible just weren't true. Therefore, perhaps you're tempted to throw out the baby with the bathwater. Can I ask you, can I encourage you, can I beg you, please don't do that. 
please don't do that. I want to admit much of what I've been taught about hell comes more from medieval folklore than it does from the Bible. But just because somebody gets the facts wrong about a copperhead doesn't mean you should put your hand in its den. For some, the thought of God creating an eternal torture chamber, a concentration camp in the countryside, just outside the castle of heavenly delights, is unfathomable. Some have decided that because they can't believe in these medieval images of God, that they must be atheists. Others have concluded that they must be universalists. Either way, we're tempted to turn our head in disgust. And I want to ask you, please don't. From the bottom of my heart, please don't. Let's just accept what God's word says, even when we can't understand it, and even when we can't fathom it. It happens to me almost every day, and I do this for a living. So I would invite you today to face it. Some of us who grew up, and I've talked to many of you, some of us who've grown up in religious environments that only ever preached about hell, when we hear a message or think about discussing this subject, it, it kind of makes, uh, makes us twinge. Why would we talk about this? And I feel you. If that's you, I completely get it. I remember going to church camp as a kid, and it seemed like almost every year on the last night, the preacher would speak on hell. And if you think about it, you got a bunch of worn down kids, hyped up on sugar, homesick. What a better place to preach on hell than the last night of church camp. I say that tongue in cheek. But let's not swing the pendulum so far back the other direction that we ignore something that the Bible teaches. Is God compassionate? Is God loving? Is God merciful? Sure he is. But he's also just. He's also righteous. And he's also full of righteous wrath. Heaven cannot be heaven if there is no hell. Now, I want to tell you how the rest of this message is going to go. We're actually almost halfway over, but I want to let you know how the rest of the message is going to go, because if you're like me, I like to follow along just to know where I am, and, and maybe you want to know when we're going to be done. Uh, but the rest of the message is going to go like this. I'm going to look, teach through those verses that we read at the beginning of the message, Revelation 20, 11 through 15. I'm just going to read through those, make some comments, and then I'm going to conclude with two practical applications. Let's jump in together. Revelation chapter 20 and verse 11. Again, John said, I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Who was seated on the throne? Well, that's Jesus. I'll give you all the reasons why in your notes. You can see all the verses there that prove that it was Jesus. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence and there was no place for them. You think about the earth and the heavens. It's, it's a dramatic, apocalyptic way to say everything was trying to hide from the presence of Jesus. Why would we do that? Well, Revelation chapter 1 is a great chapter to study. Revelation chapter 1 may be one of the clearest chapters in the entire book. In Revelation 20, it describes the glorified Christ. Jesus, not only when he was resurrected, but when he ascended into heaven, when he was glorified, Jesus had a glow. He had a radiance about him. And so this is why 
John, when he looks into the future, sees an image of Jesus that can hardly be gazed upon. Then he says in verse 12, and I saw the dead small and great, great and small. Who are the dead small and great? This is the big sinners and the little sinners. This is the sinners you've heard about, read about, watched. This is the sinners that you and I have never read about, never watched, never heard of. The great and the small were standing before the throne and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. There's so much in the book of Revelation that is unclear, but this is clear. Judgment is still to come. There will be a judgment to come. Acts 17, 30 and 31 says this, in the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man, that's Jesus, he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him, Jesus, from the dead. Romans chapter three and verse 19 describes this awful day. It says that every mouth will be silenced and the whole world will be held accountable to God. Judgment is necessary. Unless we are to conclude absurdly, in my opinion, that nothing much is wrong with the world. Or unless we were to conclude that blasphemously, that God has turned a blind eye to injustice and genocide and murder and extortion and lying and so forth. But when we see the tyranny and the injustices of this world, how can we then say that there is no judgment to come? Bible clearly teaches that there is. In verse 13, he goes on to say this, the sea gave up the dead that were in it and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. If you write in your Bibles or if you take notes even on your phone, I wanna invite you to think about adding these two words, not to the Bible. We don't add anything to the Bible but adding these two words to your notes or to the margin of your Bible, or at least in your mind, adding the two words with Jesus. Now, this is not what this verse is teaching, but there are other verses in the Bible that teach that we're going to be judged according to what we have done with Jesus. And so on a larger scale in the Bible, that's actually talked about more than this is Spoken of. 1 John 5:12 says, Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. And so much of the New Testament teaches us that our judgment, our, ju- our determination of heaven or hell has to do with what we've done with Jesus. But let's go back to the verse. There's obviously not the words with Jesus here. It's literally talking about a works judgment. It says that every person was judged according to what they have done. God is warning us that not only will judgment be based on what we've done with Jesus, but the actual sentencing, the sentencing of lost men and women 
will be determined their degree of and their degree of punishment will be based on the wickedness of the person being judged. This will be the universe's first impartial, perfectly justified court judgment. Now, there's a lot more verses in your notes for you to see, but just in summary, Matthew 11, 20 through 24, Jesus said that it was going to be more tolerable for some cities, some people from some cities in a judgment, than it will be tolerable for people from other cities in the last judgment. Luke 12, 47 and 48, Jesus says that some will receive greater judgment, greater punishment in the final judgment, and some will receive less judgment, punishment in the final judgment. Luke 20, 45 through 47, Jesus says, he specifically quotes and says, these men, he points to a certain group of men. He says, these men will be punished most severely. And then the last verses that we see in Revelation 20, 14 and 15 that we'll look at today. He says, then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Now we wanna be clear, wanna be transparent, wanna be honest. There's a lot about hell that we don't understand. And there's a lot about hell that, that hopefully none of us will ever get close enough to experience firsthand. But God's intention in the Bible Every time hell is mentioned is to wake us up. Every time hell is mentioned, it is intended to be a horrific, fearful, awful place. Consider some of these verses. Daniel chapter 12 and verse two, multitudes who sleep and the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Matthew 10, 28, do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul? Think of this, but rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Goes on to say in Matthew 13, 41 and 42, the son of man will send out his angels and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Matthew 25, 41, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you are cursed, who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. John 3, 36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whosoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. The word hell, think of this, The word hell is used 54 times in 54 verses in the Bible. 162 New Testament texts speak on the doom of the lost, even if they don't use the word hell. Jesus spoke on hell over 70 times, which is almost twice the number of times that he spoke on heaven. The most common question I hear about hell, I think it's a very good question. The question goes like this, will God give people a second chance? Will God let somebody out of hell? Who wants out of hell? Well, the problem with that question is that it's based on a wrong assumption. The wrong assumption is that there will be someone 
who wants a second chance. The wrong assumption is that there's someone in hell who wants out of hell. This blew my mind this week studying it. Luke 16 is probably the famous, most famous parable that Jesus ever told on hell. Luke 16, uh, verses 19 through 31, I think somewhere right around there. In Luke 16, Jesus tells the story of a man who went to hell. And in the story, he's crying out, but he never cries out for escape. He only cries out for relief, for a dip of water to touch his tongue. He never cries out for Jesus. He never cries out for heaven. Why is that? I believe Revelation 22.11 has the reason why. It says, let the one who does wrong continue to do wrong. This is like some of the last verses of the Bible. He's talked about hell. He's talked about heaven. He's talked about the new creation, the new heaven, the new earth. Almost one of the last verses in the Bible. Let the one who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let the vile person continue to be vile. Let the ones who does do right, the one who does right, continue to do right. And let the holy person continue to be holy. Many scholars believe that Revelation 22.11 is teaching this. What we wanted most in life is what we will crave for eternity. What we wanted most in life is what we will crave for eternity. Many conservative Bible scholars believe that at the moment of death or at the moment of the final judgment, there will be no one who, who, who can go from heaven to hell or, or from hell to heaven. It's as, if, it's as if in the new heaven and the new earth, there is no barbed wire. Everyone, not everyone wants to go to heaven Everyone who's going there wants to stay there. And everybody who's not, doesn't. I was thinking this afternoon, looking out, enjoying a little bit of the sunshine. We had some baptisms this afternoon. We had, I think, 19 folks getting baptized. And we had several of those services this afternoon. But in between baptisms, I'd go out and just kind of enjoy some of the sunshine, trying to soak in that that vitamin D. I was thanking the Lord for... Uh, these 19 who are being baptized this weekend in our church. But I was also thinking that in hell, there are no sunny days. In hell, there are no more gorgeous sunrises and sunsets. In hell, there are no walks in the woods. There's no laugh with friends, no fireside chats, no early morning coffees, no parties, no family, no God. So the big idea, again, is this. Heaven cannot be heaven if there is no hell. So what do I want you to do today? What's the takeaway? I said there's two takeaways. Here's the first takeaway. Trust Christ. Trust Jesus Christ for your salvation. These verses aren't on the screen, but listen to God's heart in these verses. Ezekiel 18.33, God says this, Do I take any pleasure in the death of the wicked? Rather, am I not pleased when they turn and live? Matthew 11.28-30, Jesus declared, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, but he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but for everyone to come to repentance. If I could beg you, if it would make a difference to beg you on my knees, I would do that. Turn to Christ. Commit your life to Jesus Christ. Believe the gospel. Fall under the umbrella of his eternal protection so that nothing I've talked about today will you ever have to experience. The gospel is the good news that the living God who demands perfection of all humankind sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world to live a sinless life to suffer and die on the cross as a substitute for our sins, absorbing the judgment we rightfully deserve to rise again, to ascend back into heaven and to grant forgiveness and righteousness in his spirit and eternal life the moment anyone repents and believes. Jesus has already paid for your sins. You don't have to suffer for them. Fall on Christ. Commit your life to Christ. Say even right now, Lord, I believe I want you to be my Lord and Savior. If we can help you, if you're watching online, if you'll just indicate, click that button. Hey, I want to be a follower of Jesus. Our online pastor, Pastor Matt Garrison, will follow up with you right away and help you get connected into a path of growth in the Christian life. But Christian, I want to conclude with this encouragement to you and this encouragement to me. Let's do everything possible to prevent people from going to hell. Can we agree on that today? Let's do everything possible to prevent people from going to hell. It sounds so simple, but when I saw it this week, it just made sense. Can we just agree that we want to fill heaven and prevent as many people as possible from going to hell. I love what 2 Timothy 2.10 says. Paul says, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Now think about that. Paul says, I endure everything. Can we say that we're willing to endure everything? so that someone else may come to Christ? Will we endure discomfort? Will we endure having our preferences not met all the time? Will we endure suffering? Will we endure hardship? Will we endure ridicule? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, 22 and 23, he says, I become all things to all people so that by all possible means, I might save some. And then he says, I do this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. Paul had such a missionary heart that he said, I want to do everything in my power to get into a culture, to get into an area, to interact with those people, to love those people, and win those people to Jesus Christ. Is that our heart? I'm burdened that for too long in the American church, it's been so easy for us to write a check and send it across the continent, or send it across the globe. 
without thinking about how can we be missionaries right here in our city? How can we be all things to all people? Growing up, I would read these great biographies of missionaries going to the far reaches of the world and how they would change the way they dress and they change the music that they played and listened to and, and they would change the way their house looked and they would change as much as they could, not to trick people into Jesus, but to remove every distraction possible to be like the culture they were trying to win. That's what Paul was saying. In Matthew 9, Jesus said, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. The problem is not with the harvest. The problem is with the laborers. I like what C.H. Spurgeon said hundred and some years ago. If sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped around their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions and let not one go unwarned and unprayed for. In order to reach people no one is reaching, we'll have to, as a church, as Christians, we'll have to do things that nobody else is doing. In order to reach people that no one is reaching in the coming months, we're gonna to have to do some things that no one else is doing. It's gonna take a redemptive mindset, not a, not a combative mindset, not a condemning mindset, but a redemptive mindset. When we look at the world, Jesus says our heart should be to come to seek and to save that which is lost, not to condemn and throw rocks and throw stones, but to love and to save. We'll have to love our community more than we want to condemn our community. We'll have to be more concerned about saving people from hell than we are with defining it properly. God doesn't call us to know everything about hell, but he has called us to save people from it. And the end of the day, our mission is to fill heaven and prevent one more person from going to hell. If we really believe this, think about how it will affect our purpose. If we really believe this, think about how it will affect the conversations we have with our close friends. I'm not talking about being weird. I'm not talking about standing with a sandwich board on the corner. I'm talking about the people you already know in your life. How might it affect our conversations? How might it, imagine how it will affect, affect our prayers if we really believe that hell is real. I was thinking this week, I'll carry this memory to the grave. My dad, a mechanic, my mom, a school teacher, almost nightly we would sit down for dinner and they would pray for people who weren't followers of Jesus to become followers of Jesus. And those people did. Dad would come home from work telling us how he had led somebody to Jesus. We see our church filled with people coming because our friends were reaching out to others, winning them to Christ. It changes the parties that we host, the people we hang out with, the hobbies we enjoy. May we always remember that heaven cannot be heaven if there is no hell. So let's do everything possible to prevent people from going there. For more information, visit us at BibleCenterChurch.com or check us out on social media. You can also join us in person for services on Thursday at 7 p.m. 
or Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m.